Thank you for joining us for The Upside, the University of Illinois Press podcast. I am your host, Elizabeth Hess. I am joined today by Dr. Tiffany Florville, an associate professor in the Department of History at the University of New Mexico, and Dominique Moore, an acquisitions editor from the University of Illinois Press. Dr. Florville's research interests include 20th century Europe, Germany, gender and sexuality, race and ethnicity, war and society, politics and the economy, frontiers and borderlands, while Dom's acquisitions focus on black studies, women, gender, and sexuality studies, and American ethnic studies. We plan this discussion in anticipation of the upcoming Association for the Study of African American Life and History Conference. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Great to be back. Dr. Florville, can you tell me about your topics of interest and your publishing history in those areas? Yes. So my topic of interest is mostly Black German history and studies. So I've published quite a bit on sort of Black German women's history, Black German social movements, feminism. I'm also interested in Black European history more broadly. I'm working on an edited volume on Black Europe that incorporates scholars from both sides of the Atlantic. So we've got pieces from Russia, Yugoslavia, Hungary. And so it's very exciting. So I'm very much interested in sort of Black European subjectivities, efforts at belonging and community. And I try to continually publish in those areas. Thank you, Dr. Florville. Dom, the University Press's Black Studies and American Ethnic Studies list is strong. While you're fairly new to Illinois Press, you have a long history with this area of study. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So in my previous life as a nation scholar, I worked in Black literary studies. I was particularly fascinated by humor and satire. Um, and looking at the ways in which Black folk punch up, punch down, punch around, using humor as a response to white supremacy. And so I looked at pretty contemporary satire, pretty much 1980s and on. Really, I feel like that question still is probably one of my most driving forces in how I think of all scholarship. Really, again, how do people take up space in ways that problematize white supremacy, but in ways that also kind of rearticulate it? those are probably the main questions that I'm always interested and fascinated by. And what I love about publishing is it gives me a way of doing that across many different fields. Dr. Florville, as a frequent contributor to the Journal of Civil and Human Rights, what value do you find in the journal and what do you think are the journal's strengths? Oh, there are quite a few strengths. I like that it does really have a global perspective within the journal. So it's not just a sort of U.S.-based Journal. It really does attend to the transnational currents of civil and human rights, what those shapes look like, what those practices look like, what the pushes for or pushes against white supremacy has looked like, why people have needed to fight for civil and human rights. I think what's been very exciting about the last couple of issues, and this has been the case for a while, I should add, that there's been a quite a really interesting relationship between the journal and Black perspectives and sort of publishing book forums. And I think that's been a really great space for conversations and also opening up different sites for imparting of knowledge. So I think it's not an article per se, it's not a book review, but it's a really in-between site that I think is really fruitful, allows the author to also expand a few things based on what they think they may have missed in the earlier version of the piece. So I really have been enjoying reading those. And I think I came to the journal organizing my own special issue for the journal on like, you know, transnational anti-racist activism. 
basically cold era transnational anti-racist activism. And then Michael was like, will you become an advisory board member? And I was like, oh, okay, Michael. I think the journal is just quite lovely. And I've been recommending it to a variety of my graduate students because I think it's just a good space for them to really think about disseminating their work. I think Michael's a good editor. He is quite supportive of junior scholars. So I think it's a really good space. And I hope that the journal stays around for many years to come. Don, let's talk about the conference. What are you looking forward to at this year's conference? And what types of submissions are you looking for from attendees or speakers at the conference? I think what's super interesting to me, so the focus of Masala is the Black family. And I think anybody that knows anything about Black existence and Black scholarship and Black freedom politics in general know that the Black family is central to thinking through what Black liberation looks like in ways that are revolutionary, ways that are really problematic and can be really nationalist and and heteronormative in its bones. And so I'm really interested in looking at how we problematize that in a post-racial society, right? And so, yes, I would like to see projects, and I've seen a few that I'm interested in reaching out to, of people that are really conceptualizing what, what does it mean to be a Black family? What does it mean to be a family? And what does it mean to be Black? Because, like, all of those things, really, they do change the way you come to that question, Um, And whereas I think in earlier generations, the Black family looked one particular way, and when it wasn't able to look that way, who gets blamed for that, right? And that's oftentimes Black mothers that get criminalized and demonized for the failures of what the Black family is supposed to mean in an American context and a white supremacist context, if I'm being quite honest. And so looking at ways that people are starting to push back against that, because I think the Black family becomes a response to the ways in which Black people have been divorced from personhood as a result of colonialism and making of the modern world and chattel slavery. Like I said, we're, we're problematic. And so looking at different lenses to establish its importance more in a family that never got to exist in a way. But I do believe that freedom politics are growing up in that way, that family doesn't look like this one thing that we've been trained up to believe it should be, and that being respectable then becomes a way of getting personhood or claiming, making a stake in personhood and citizenship. So thinking about how all of those are kind of in conversation is super fascinating and super interesting to me. And so people that really problematize the Black family and all, at all of those different intersections are always going to be projects that pique my interest. Before I jump into the next question for Dr. Florville, Dr. Florville, you were nodding for most of what she said. Did you want to add to anything that Dom just said? Yeah, I thought Dom's articulation about the Black family being so important, and you see this across the diaspora. This is not only common to sort of African Americans, this is certainly common across the diaspora. But what's striking too, I find, is that that's not the case with Black Germans, that like they're not tethered to a Black family, which is why they gravitate towards each other when they do in the 1980s because they don't have the grounding of that Black familial traditions or those narratives that they can share or that have been imparted to them. So I think this is why when they meet other diasporic people in the 80s, they're like, ooh, I want to get to know you and you become sort of my chosen family. And so they do create like a chosen family, but it's, which is so different from like, when I think about like Caribbean families, when I think about Tanzanian, when I think about, even when I think about other European contexts, like black British or, you know, black French, that's a sort of interesting distinction about black Germans. So the family's sort of elusive, but then later chosen. 
because they're raised with white families or in white families. Dr. Florville, that dovetails nicely into my next question for you. Civil and human rights issues are leading the news day after day. They're nothing new to those who have been studying them for decades. Why do you think these topics resonate now more than ever? Clearly, there's been a resurgence of emphasis on the importance of civil and human rights based on George Floyd. Sort of everybody, um, the global reverberations of George Floyd, you had protests and movements in Belgium, in Amsterdam, in the UK, in Germany, all pushing for not only sort of focusing on George Floyd and police brutality, but also centering on their local conditions and the afterlives of colonialism in those local conditions. Belgium, we clearly, you know, the toppling of Leopold statues, Britain, the toppling of Colston and all of these former slaveholding individuals. So it's really a grappling with white supremacy, but also the legacy of white supremacy within this larger understanding of racial capitalism. And then what's also been interesting is that The Black Lives Matter movement has just only taken off. It's not the first instance of it. It's been around since 2013. But I think George Floyd has really helped to catalyze or I should sort of recatalyze a lot of these movements because they have more investment in really getting to the crux of racism in their respective countries, as well as racism in the U.S. So when there are protests in Berlin and Munich, They're stressing that it's horrible that George Floyd died, but then they're also like, look, we have police brutality here. Germany is not excluded from this. And so I think it's important that sadly George Floyd has helped this, his death has helped this, but it also builds on a longer legacy of, you know, people of African descent across the globe pushing for civil and human rights. Predates the creation of the UN. (laughs) It predates the League of Nations. It predates these sort of peacemaking institutions that are supposed to be the bedrock of human rights and civil rights, but in many ways, both of those institutions, of course, the UN now, oftentimes fail doing this. So I think it's so important that we have grassroots activists on the ground doing this work and telling us why these institutions aren't getting it right and what they need to do to improve. I think George Floyd is a significant part of this sort of new momentum for civil and human rights across the globe, quite honestly. And everyone keeps asking me, like, what's going on in Europe about this? And I was like, what isn't going on in Europe about this? Everybody and their mama is in the streets and they're protesting. The dogs are out. Everybody's out. And it's like horrible that racism is still in existence. And that I think for the German case in particular, Europe quite as a whole, they're like, Europe, you're a racist space. Like you've never not been racist. And it's important that you grapple with that legacy now. Dom, with that in mind, and with what you're seeking at conferences, how do you connect with current and future authors during these online conferences? It's been interesting. So most of my tenure as a full editor has been in this pandemic space. I hate to say post-pandemic because what are we talking about? But in this space of always being online for me is where I've done the, in the bulk of my acquisitions work. So I try to put together Calendly that is reserved for people that are in the conference spaces to meet up and have a 15 to 30 minute conversation via Zoom. I am very easy to get in contact with via Twitter. It's probably the easiest way to get in contact with me. I'm trying to be better at it. And also, you know, good old fashioned email or phone. Do not call me though. Dr. Florville, what topics are you currently researching for future publication, either with the University of Illinois Press or on your own? I'm currently doing, as I mentioned earlier, an edited volume on Black Europe. That's with a 
press that I have a series with, Imagining Black Europe. The book will be about innovations in Black European studies. And I'm currently trying to figure out what the next project is going to be. So I guess at some point I need to talk to Dom because she may be by connection to the press again. But I'm not there yet, Dom, so (laughs) don't worry. But I'm working on a biography of Maya Eam. She was one of the figures I spoke about in my first book, which was, of course, published by Illinois. And I had a great experience. And so I think she doesn't really have a comprehensive monograph about her, her life, her life work. And I'm talking about Maya Eam. And so she figures into the book in many ways, the mobilizing Black Germany, Afro-German women and the making of a transnational movement. And so I think the new direction is sort of writing a biography on her. And then some side projects are really talking about intellectual history, sort of Black German intellectual history a little bit more, and developing some of the ideas that I gestured to in the book in some more concrete ways and some journals. And then third, there's a emphasis for me to really focus also more broadly on Black Europe. And so I'm thinking about writing a book about Black European, Black Lives Matter in 20th century Europe and charting political mobilization from like the Pan-African Congresses in the early 20th century to Black Lives Matter movement in the 21st century. So I'm seeing it as a, a 20th century slash 21st century, maybe in an epilogue book that really talks about Black activism in Britain, France, Germany, also thinking about Black activism in Portugal, sort of talking about why these earlier moments of Black radicalism, Black activism were important and how they helped to give us Black Lives Matter movement for today. My next two questions for both of you are about change. Dom, how has your acquisition work with Black Studies and American Ethnic Studies changed in terms of the specific types of work for which you seek? That's a good question. I will say that I think it I think it makes sense in the context of both Black Studies and American Ethnic Studies. I think the world gets both more global and localized all at the same time. And I think that race and ethnicity becomes a great through line to really chart that and how that happens and why that happens. And so I'm super fascinated by Black structures or, you know, Black movements that at its base try to be nationalist, won't name any names of the particular movements, but I'm super interested in like why that happens or how that happens, where people feel very tethered to a national identity, even though the Black experience is so pan-African and diasporic in its bones, in my opinion, at least. So I'm, I'm just super interested in, in how and why that happens. And so, like I said, I think we just see diasporas come to life over and over again. And I've seen this throughout all the diasporas that I kind of engage with, which is Black and Latinx and Asian diasporas are really the three ones that I pretty much deal with and contend with. And so looking at those differences, but always seeing the role that Americanism plays in all of that, because I think America as a global and colonialist and capitalist power, it's always going to have a really large saying or a really large rendering of what any of those identities mean throughout the world. And so looking at projects that are kind of in conversation with that are super fascinating to me on one hand. And then on the other hand, the other part of that is looking at the role of gender and sexuality and gender identity plays in that increasingly. Let's hear how Dr. Florville handles her question on how things have changed over the past 10, 15, 20 years. I think in terms of just thinking about my own research area, they've changed considerably. 
I think back in the 90s, I would say there was like a trickle of scholarship on Black German studies, most so concentrated in the Black studies journals, not in German studies journals, oftentimes. And so they found a space to talk about Germany's Black diaspora. It's not until the aughts that I think that more more and more other venues have been receptive to Black German studies. And now I think due in part to the scholarly developments of like Black European studies more broadly, that there's more attention to these themes and these experiences and these communities and other scholarly venues. I have to admit that George Floyd's death in many ways has also prompted people to be like, oh, wait, Black people exist in Europe. (laughs) I did not know this. It's been useful for people to recognize that Black people have existed in Europe. They've always existed in Europe. We can go back to the ancient Romans, Roman Britain. I mean, like, there's a whole history lesson that could be given there. So I think it's important for them to recognize that Black people have existed everywhere, that that slavery was not only confined to the Americas, it was really, there was internal slavery on the continent, there's slavery in Europe, the enslaved were brought back from the colonies to the metropole and were able to actually negotiate for their freedom in many interesting ways from the metropole. So like, it's been really interesting, this moment of pushing for decolonizing the curriculum, pushing for a reckoning with sort of race. There's much more scholarly attention. For example, in the Slavic Review, I'm Central European, so I guess I could fit into the Slavic Review. They just published an issue on like race and racialization in Poland and Yugoslavia and a variety of Eastern European countries. So that in itself in 2021 is significant and showing why race and Blackness and Black communities across the globe matter and why these stories need to be told. Thank you for listening to The Upside, the University of Illinois Press podcast. The 106th annual meeting and virtual conference for the Association for the Study of African American Life and History is online every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday from September 14th to September 30th. Dr. Tiffany Florville and Dominique Moore, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's always a pleasure. It really is a pleasure.